that's where I think it becomes very interesting nowadays. Because to your point, knowing that it's like, my paraphrase from what I remember from GI Joe back in the day, it's like knowing's half the battle. Uh, but it's such a true statement here. Like uh, a lot of companies, you know, the answers are when they lay them out in front of you, like a classic like SAT question, it becomes more obvious what the right answer is. But you can appreciate like not everyone can get to that right answer because they don't have that data. And if you're not getting that data, you're not making sub, you know, you're making suboptimal decisions versus optimal decisions. And you're not getting to the hard decisions that will get your business to be an enduring great business in the end. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Mark Schopmeyer. Mark is the co-founder and co-CEO of Captivate IQ, a leading commission management system. So it's not really a surprise that sales compensation is the topic that Mark and I explore in today's conversation. And so we look into some questions such as what, what really motivates a salesperson to show up and perform to the best of their ability? And what motivates a seller to keep learning and growing? We explore the trends that Mark is seeing for sales compensation at, at the seller level, and we dig into the impact these trends are having on sales organizations. And then we talk about the leaders who are looking to start or revamp their comp structure. We talk about the mistakes that they need to make sure they avoid as they do that. So before we get to Mark, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And let's jump into it. Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, Andy. How are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm not too bad for a Friday. Actually, I'm just getting over COVID, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, did you get that last week or where, whereabouts are you in the life cycle for that it one? It was two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. And, wow. but yeah, it was two weeks till I tested negative. Um, okay. And yeah, fortunately, most of the symptoms were relatively mild. The thing that I had, you know, they talk about the brain fog. Oh. Yeah. That's a real thing. That was, oh, man, that, that was tough. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm part of my job is I'm a creator. Right? I'm supposed to be writing LinkedIn yeah, and doing podcasts hard. And, and I had to basically cancel everything for like a week and a half. Cause I was just wasn't really capable of, of operating at a high level. So yeah, it's a very real thing. Well, I'm glad you're all right. Uh, I can empathize with I, I won't pretend I, I, I've had COVID but I know what you mean by brain fog and you're just like you just don't feel 100% you feel lethargic and you know you know it's like there but it's there's a reason why they call it brain fog it's just, oh yeah it's, everything feels cloudy absolutely and you're just like it's like reaching for these ideas that come like like when you reach deep enough it comes but you're like oh the amount of energy it takes just to get to well, that one and, point and that's exactly right I was I was, I was, I'm not a real nap taker and I was reduced to taking naps every afternoon. Cause it was just, I think the energy from, from just trying to apply myself, um, oh, man. was exhausting. Your brain consumes a lot of, a lot of energy when, so yeah, yeah, fortunately, hopefully that's in the rearview mirror. So, but, uh, yeah, well, I'm glad. my wife and I both had it. We're both exceedingly cautious. Um, yeah. and, uh, it got us too. So. It's coming yeah, for everyone. This, yeah, it's um, this latest bout has been um, much more um, contagious, I guess you can say. Yeah. Um, I, I actually lost a bet with my friend because um, I thought we, you know, with 
vaccinations going up across the board and boosters that we were in the, the through the thick of it and he actually started looking at something that i thought was interesting um it's gonna sound kind of gross but um there you can look at literally poo data or fecal oh, yeah, matter yeah, that's, data that's how they analyze it yeah yeah and so we had this bet i'm like yeah like i think you're not going to see i think we saw the worst of it in omicron like somewhere around uh q4 he's like no like the poo data it's it's coming <laughs> and i'm like really like and i'm looking at the other one where it's actual cases and it's like yeah. you know single digits or something like that but he's like no the poo data is it's it's increasing and i'm like okay so we took a bet and he's like yeah if uh june <laughs> eclipses omicron like i'm gonna lose that bet and I was like, I don't think that's going to be the case. But, you know, I, I think if you looked at the data, um, it actually, I forget, Omicron Delta, but I lost a bet. Like, it, it actually peaked higher than what we had seen before. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, sure it was Omicron, yeah, last year. Yeah. And so he was right. Like, the I, the poo data was the best leading indicator to it, it uh, well, what, what happened. And so, um, yeah, I thought that was fascinating, which is how you can think about uh, on a population management side, um, you know, like no one, all the cases would say otherwise, all the testing would say otherwise, but you can test the, the, the sewage and yeah. Yep. And it would actually, you know, there you go. You can, you, you actually got the best leading indicator by, we made this bet probably in early May, maybe late April. And then there you go. Like two months later, three months later, like that was a peak. Yeah. Well, I think most municipalities, major cities these days are, that's exactly what they're doing. They're taste, testing wastewater for for COVID, and yep. just to your point, yeah, it's a better indicator of what percent of the population is carrying around, whether they're asymptomatic or whatever. So, hey, who thought they were going to talk about wastewater when we came on a sales podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. It does have that yeah. intersection or cross section of tech, and so yeah, it does. Yeah, uh, it's it's fascinating to hear like the latest innovations for how we think about even health and safety. Yeah. Well, I mean, a year ago when they're talking about bringing back the students on campus at University of California, San Diego, and I'm in San Diego, that was the metric they're using is yep. in terms of social distancing and masking requirements and, and so on. And or in-person classes versus remote is, yeah, analyzing waste, sure. wastewater. So there we go. Um, so, Mark, uh, where are you located? I am down in the South Bay, so I, I live. My family and I live uh, in around uh, Mountain View and Los Altos section okay. where I grew up. And then, yeah. uh, but today I'm actually in the city in San Francisco. Got it. And well, tell us a little bit about you and and the work that you do. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm, I'm a co-founder, co-CEO of a company called Captivate IQ, uh, and you know. You know, from a marketing perspective, we're the new standard for sales commissions, but we help companies set, calculate, and report paying out sales commissions to their uh, employees. It's uh, a pain point that I've personally experienced and managed in a prior life, doing it in spreadsheets, but also in commercial solutions. Right. Um, so me and my other co-founders who also managed the, the pain point just had this seemingly naive point of view. What if we could build a solution that we would have used if we were in our old roles? And so we started our journey um, what seems like maybe four and a half years ago, mm -hmm. and it's just been a crazy ride since then. Uh, and we've brought along great partners along the way. Um, uh, some of our partners include Sequoia, Excel, mm -hmm. um, uh, Iconic, Sapphire, Y Combinator, uh, and we've raised about 165 million in capital. And 
you know, I think at our stage today, we've just been continuing to grow. We tripled our business in ARR last year, and uh, it's the second year doing it. Um, and now we have an employee base that's uh, much more global. Uh, and I think that's actually part of the interesting things I think you can, uh, that we appreciate of just what it means to kind of now be, a, you know, no longer quote unquote a startup and more of a, right. Uh, just maybe a mid-market company, but we operate now in nine different countries, 11 different time zones with 340 employees. Very nice. Very nice. So, you know, it seems that's, you know, the whole idea of paying commission seems so fundamental to a business mm -hmm. with salespeople. Why was it so hard? I mean, why this, why was this become such a pain point? Yeah. You know, uh, if you go back I probably would have the same exact point of view right in the beginning. Um, I remember the moment I, I joined a company called Brightroll. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a new CFO and we had changed our commission plans and we also had changed our data systems. Uh, so we had migrated to a new ERP called Microsoft Great Plains. Yep. Yep. And uh, I remember, you know, I was hired to do all the things under the CFO, like, you know, budgeting, board, board versus actual materials, board, you know, just other board materials, et cetera. Right. And before all that, the first thing he literally tells me to do is uh, we need to, you know, rebuild our commissions model and figure out what people need to get paid. Cause you know, we actually have a commitment, a uh, legal obligation to pay out uh, by the, you know, the, the next payroll run. Right. So I was like, okay, like former investment banker, you know, Excel exercise, I should knock this out in two, you know, two hours. Like I'm going to be able to really flex, like this is going to be, you know, cakewalk. Um, but no, it took me two weeks. And I was, I remember being up until one or two in the morning uh, for several of those days. And I just remember being, this is just, this process was like, I don't know if you've ever done something where it was just like, I grossly misunderstood what yeah. is involved here. Right. And the scope of what, of the complexity of the problem. And so what happened was uh, to kind of take apart what I had to be dealing with, you had to grab this data from these different data systems. And mind you, data never comes in the form that you need it in. That's mm -hmm. probably true for a lot of right. you know, people in different roles. Uh, could not be more truer than commissions. You're grabbing this like sales transaction data. Then you're massaging it, right? Like you know, from a uh, data integrity perspective from, you know, and you're doing things like splitting deals, like Salesforce mm -hmm. just doesn't split opportunities. Like right. you have to do that yourself, manual overrides, uh, et cetera. Right. Um, then you have, for us, you know, we actually had to look at ERP data for, uh, or invoicing data for costs. Oh, sorry, we invoice the, the ERP was actually for revenue. We had to look at um, another uh, set of costs because we actually looked at margin. Um, mm -hmm. which You're paying on margin versus revenue? Exactly. For yeah. ad tech, that's actually a big deal. Right. And so I had another data source. And so I had basically massage these data sets, uh, one for accuracy, and then eventually bridge it together. Uh, and then I was able to work on the commissions model, which, you know, for everyone to think about, you basically have the spreadsheet of all the employees and you have to figure out, you know, the rules for each and every one of them. And if it, you know, if you had to look at it, it's basically a set of nested if statements in each cell. Mm. So you're not even able to easily see, did you build the formula correctly? And you're doing that across, you know, teams like 30, 40, 50 people. Right. And so there's a set of calculations uh, uh, on how someone's going to get paid out. And mind you, uh, unlike other financials, financial models where you build, this is one where you do really want this to be 100% accurate. No, no one feels right when you're like, oh, I, I didn't calculate someone's paycheck correctly, right? There's that, oh, yeah. Yeah. it's very binary in that regard. Yep. 
um, versus like a financial model, like, you know, it needs to be accurate, but like sometimes you can be more directionally accurate. This is definitely not the case. A hundred percent is a hundred percent or bust. Um, and then finally you have to, uh, have these little statements that you manually create in spreadsheets, sending out, you know, Hey Andy, here's how you got paid. Here was your quota, your mm -hmm. OTE, here's the attainment tiers. Here's all the deals that you got paid and how much commission you made on each one. Right. And you're gonna get feedback. You're gonna you're gonna get people. You know, Andy might come back and say, "Hey, uh, that deal's not right," or yep. "I actually think this is you know something else." So if you do that with one two onesie twosies, not a big deal. When you have a whole sales force, that actually becomes like a very you know big communication nightmare. Because um, mm -hmm. if you do have to make changes, you then have to update it, hard code again, email that statement out again, and the process resets. So um, you can see why that process is very manual. You know, everything about that just is very, data is going in and out. Um, the the medium that you're trying to build this around isn't built for this purpose. And then lastly, like, it's just that last part is so manual. Um, yeah. You have literally tabs with everyone's name on it. Now, if you have 20, 30, it's okay, not that bad of a pain point. But imagine the world where you have 100, 200. That you know, it doesn't even make sense anymore. Right. Exactly. Thousands, tens of thousands. So um, that starts to build into the problem that I was facing. And, you know, I remember looking at different solutions and well, one, uh, they didn't pick up our call. They, and for reasons that are obvious to me now, they only focus on fortune 500, right? Mm -hmm. um, the other one did pick up our call, but they said, hey, uh, one, we don't touch your data. That's you. Your data needs to be perfect before we get involved. Before, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, that's often yeah. is that the case, right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, that, that's. I'm like, that's a big part of our process today, yeah. um, and that's you know, okay, that's kind of that sucks. Uh, the other one was like, hey, in your commissions, like model your your plans are actually pretty complicated. Uh, we recommend simplifying your plans, and I was like, God, oh, that's weird. That's a weird statement to be making. That I need to change my commission plans to use your software. But, right, right. Okay, and then they're like, yeah. And then the last part. We do very well. Like people are going to see how they're going to get paid and all that stuff. So I was like, in this process, you're telling me you only really handle that last part, and then you know even this other part, you have to make compromises. And by the way, like it's a hundred thousand yeah. dollars, which at the time, like that's kind of my salary. Like yeah. I, you know, I was not, you know, I was a junior uh, financial analyst back then. I'm like, wow, like this is going to cost me my my salary, and it's only handling a fraction of the process. I might as well still do this. Right. I don't yeah. know if I can make a case to my CFO that's is worthwhile. So uh, we never, you know, move forward with a solution in that regard. But stuck in the back of my mind, I'm like, gosh, I built, I built what I want. Right. And I just need to make it scalable. Like this thing is not scalable because I have to rebuild this model every cycle. And the way I looked at it, luckily for us, we had to do it quarterly. But like two out of thirteen weeks, I'm I'm working on commissions. Jesus, like this sucks. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like, uh, that's kind of the, you know, the start of like, there's gotta be a better way, especially since I've already built what I think is kind of that foundation. And so I caught up with a, you know, a friend from college and he had a very, very, very similar story, uh, during his time in his startup roles. And that's when we just had this meeting of the minds, like, Hey, what do we, what can we do? And if we, what can we explore and what this could look like? And, you know, truth be told, the solution that we have today, if you really had to break it down it's very similar to how we approach the problem in our old world. That's why I think it's a big, you know, we, we are uh, big on highlighting, like we're trying to build a solution that we would have used. And we kind of already did that 
in a more manual fashion. And so we just kind of use the power of software to kind of wrap around it and, and make it more automated. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly, I think it's become easier these days to handle disparate sources of data, right? Try to normalize 100%. it. Yeah, and you, but you talk about it even on your website is, yeah, you, you still embody features of the spreadsheet as well as the automation, which, yeah, it's certainly familiar to people that are coming for that environment in most cases. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think the thing that, the way we looked at the problem was, you know, and this is where I think it's helpful, you know, having come through it, we liked our approach and doing it in spreadsheets. It just doesn't scale, right? Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, it's, if you think about the world today in commissions, a lot of people still do it in spreadsheets. You know, I think yeah. the data that we've always seen is like 70 or 80% of the market still does it in spreadsheets. And it's Not for a very good reason, right? Yeah. It's because, hey, you already have it. You already are familiar with how to do this. You need that flexibility. Um, it gives you that real-time tacticalness. Um, the problem is that people always say is it just doesn't scale. Like once you get to 15, that's usually mm -hmm. the, the initial pain point. But yeah, if you get to 50, 100, 150, <laughs> Like, and if you get even more than that, you actually run into a different set of problems. Um, you know, there's actually a row limit on the data that you can load into Excel. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen these big models, but you got, you either run into performance issues where yeah. literally there's too much calculations going on and Excel turns into a, this, this like snail, um, <laughs> where you have to like disable real-time calcs and actually do F9 to like process it every once in a while, or you run into an actual limit on the data. Right. right. So I believe it's like 1.2 or 1.1 million records is the cap. Now, that sounds like a lot to maybe a smaller company. To a bigger company, they can easily produce that volume in a month, a week. We have customers that produce that volume in very in short instances, like a month and a week. Yeah. Yeah. And so you need to get that stuff out of spreadsheets into something more scalable. So is part of that issue and i just want to you know because you obviously you've got exposure to tons of companies with various compensation plans is is it seems like certainly for smaller companies as they're scaling is they need to make that migration from having sort of you know, a plan per person to actually having a plan mm -hmm. i mean right. do you see that a lot because i mean certainly in my experience startups and working in them is that yeah, I mean, there were exceptions made for everybody and everybody's a little slightly different and so on and so forth. Yeah, you know, I, I, I see something like, uh, most people I think at this at this stage in this, in this era get it that um, every company starts to talk about scalability at some point because it, like it, the decision factor is easy. It's like, we could do this very manual mm -hmm. and the answer is more people and that becomes a very expensive problem or we can you know make the right trade-offs but the uh upside is um effectively exponential mm -hmm. um and so i would say most modern companies get that pretty quickly and you start to get into oriented around plans where i f i will admit we have seen uh, a handful of instances where they treat every uh, person truly one-off. And let me kind of unpack what I mean there. Sure. Um, when I've, I've been in enough prospect calls where uh, a lot of times people think they have one-off onesie twosies with these, uh, you know, sales reps were like, right. Oh yeah, it's a little different across the board. The clarify, um, and, and we've had to explain it to a lot of prospects. 
that's not what we mean by onesies, twosies, where your structure, the commission plan structure is the same. You might have a different quota. You might have a different OTE. Right. Maybe some have another kicker. Right. That's all, in my opinion, one plan. And that there's a little bit of ed- education that goes on there. Mm-hmm. When I talk about um, different plans, I'm literally talking about like there is no consistency about this. There's no the commission plan. It, it works different from this person mm-hmm. to this person. How they're getting paid is very different. I've only encountered that literally. There's I could probably count in my hand like one hand where we've seen that, and it's unsurprisingly like a Midwestern company companies that are a little bit more under the radar and. They haven't, you know, it hasn't occurred to them that they need to kind of standardize it. Like, I don't believe that it's, you know, that their go-to-market motion is dictating that. I think they enabled that. Right. And no one's kind of reined it in and said, like, we need to fix that. But, yeah, I've seen, like, just, like, one one or two companies in particular where I'm like, they really should be changing how they think about it. But they've got this, like, this. it's been this way for so long that they're just like, we rather just you know, for the last decade, like this is just how it's been. And we were okay. And you know, for them, it's okay because they're not growing very quickly. Right. Like they might not be adding any sales reps. So, okay. Then, you know, it, that manual process works. Um, it's probably, I would argue it's so uncommon. It'd be the, the same argument of someone saying, I don't have a CRM or I don't have an ERP. In fact, when we, when we track deals, it's literally in this black filing cabinet in the corner. I've had, <laughs> And, oh, yeah. and to be told, I, I've had one or two prospect calls where I was like, you guys shouldn't think about commission solution right now. Like that's that I appreciate you guys are thinking about it, but you guys need, you guys need to get a CRM and an <laughs> yeah, ERP first. Here. That's right. You're yeah. getting it first. And these are, these are sizable companies. Oh, I'm not uh, a couple of years ago, I got like, a call. I got a call from a VP, a CRO of, of surprisingly big companies, you know, close to $200 million a year, been around yeah. for hundred years and asked the guys, so what's, you know, what's your big strategic initiative for this year? And we're getting our first CRM system, hundred salespeople. Yeah. Over hundred million in sales been around for close to a hundred years. So yeah, more companies it's are crazy. like that than you think, right? It, it's, it makes you think when you hear that, you're like, am I really hearing this? <laughs> you are, no, that's exactly what I said. But yeah, because it, it, it said like, oh yeah, there's actually more of these than you think out there. Yeah. And it's so funny because like, I remember in our startup journey, like one of the first things we got in the beginning was we need a CRM. Like, let's, you know, it's like your initial startup toolkit. It's right. like you get a CRM, you get like, you set up for Amazon, you know, all these different things. And like, it's just, yeah, it's surprising that like, a startup in this day will know what the toolkit is versus some of these other companies are like, yeah, like we like our very manual process today of putting <laughs> yeah. this in filing cabinets or entering deals manually into a spreadsheet. And that's like our best tracker. Yeah. Yeah. I, I ran into one not that long ago. that does just that. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so you must, obviously you see a lot of things are going, I mean, in terms of compensation plans is, is mm-hmm. I'm interested because we've got this sort of situation, you probably read the data and sales and, you know, B2B sales, fewer than 50% of reps are hitting quota. And, you know, we've got all these issues, you know, at the management level, uh, not being enabled and not coaching properly. And, you know, behaviors that aren't taking place that normally think, okay, you could co- correct with compensation plans or incentive plans. Yep. What, what are you seeing with, with your clients in terms of trends that are happening that could start addressing some of these issues? 
Yeah, it's a multi-pronged approach. And um, what's interesting is commissions can help to a degree, but there's also things I think are just best practices. And and so right. one of the, the bigger themes, you know, I think we've seen, and, and it kind of lends itself at least more favorably to the space that we operate in, um, is that uh, the role of revenue operations or sales operations, there's kind of, you know, people kind of use them mm -hmm. interchangeably nowadays, but um, I believe that's changed. Um, when I was in my older, in, in like in my prior lives, um, that role was much more of a, uh, ad, you know, Salesforce admin and right. not really doing a lot of strategic stuff. Right. Um, whereas nowadays, uh, people are seeing those as basically, you know, the right, hand person for a sales leader and you know their backgrounds are coming from like the top big three consulting firms mckinsey bain bcg and uh for good, very good reason their 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 mandate is to bring a sense of strategy behind this mm -hmm. and so uh, what we're behind seeing nowadays exactly on compensation on, right. on everything and because and compensation um in it in a way yes we're like a complicated form of payroll but there's there's very valuable inputs and dimensions that need to go into this and i think what you see is we actually start to you know our tool doing it right you start to surface these important conversations like to your point let's let's talk about that one you mentioned like attainments dropping mm -hmm. um you know a tool like ours or a platform like ours can help you surface that but then it speaks to another question why and how do we what do we think is the right answer right and then it starts into get into the world of you know best practices I think the old world would be um, forcing the unnatural, like, hey, we got to get the sales goal and that's it. And we're going to, you know, people are going to continue to lose at 50% and whatever. Whereas nowadays, I think there is that strategic element bringing it back. Like, we got to rethink about our sales goal here. And do we have the right, if the company goal is changing, then we got to change the, call, the goals for everyone else so that we, we can think about what is the right attainment figure that's in line with the benchmarks that is keeping our employee base happy, or at least our sales force happy, and not laying them a trit, let alone losing our best performers. Well, and but so I there's seems to be out of whack though, right? I mean, so I think it was Bravado was one of the more recent ones I saw. They did their study earlier this year. It's like 46% of sellers make quota. I mean, yeah, the ramifications on multiple levels is, is obviously these people aren't making the money that they expected they were going to. Yep. Uh, and not that they're necessarily primarily money-driven, but obviously it's an important element of, of the yeah. job. Um, sure. Is, you know, we're suddenly creating this this vicious cycle that sort of repeats itself. Mm -hmm. uh, seemingly when you get into this mode, and it seems like we're sort of in that, where, you know, they where compensation could be a valuable incentive, they set the goals in such a way that it's it's almost demotivating. Correct. And that's, I think, um, what I personally see going on right now is for a lot of companies, I can't speak for everyone, but um, let me kind of just describe it in the, in the lens that I kind of look at it. I'll, and I might be, I'll, I'll share my, quick point of view on, on the market, you know, I, I believe we're going into a recession. Yep. So I'm a little bit more bearish on the outlook. Now, this isn't like, for me personally, it's not my first rodeo. Like my first job was Lehman Brothers. You know, I rode that. <laughs> In 2008? I'm yeah, I'm, a, I'm officially the last analyst class. So I rode, you know, front row seat in- Yes, in, the Titanic uh, going down, right? Exactly. And uh. so, 
uh, and, and for something that was like a lot of it was market driven. And, um, you know, so to me, it's, I'm more calibrated from that mindset. But if you think about it for the last, you know, 12, 13 years, we've had this bull run. And don't get me wrong, there's been like some dips every once sure. in a while, like 2016. But for the most part, a lot of the, the operators that you're seeing are on the younger side. Yep. And a lot of it's been up to the right. Yep. And the the the, the implication of that is that you haven't had to say no very often. Mm-hmm. And you haven't had to deal with uh, like that wartime mentality let alone making adjustments, you know, thinking cerebrally around like, well, what about the downside and how do we curb the downside and get ahead of these problems? Right. And so to your point earlier, I think what you're seeing, this is the, you know, probably the, the first time that we're going to see a more sustained downside versus like a, you know, a one month a or dip. three month, you know, dip. Yeah, market dip, right. Yeah. And I think uh, it's really pushing leaders to be, to be leaders. Um which is making the right calls to be thinking about these implications, to be thinking about what is right for the business versus forcing a, a goal or a direction. Now, granted, like this is always the internal challenge. How do you think about sales going versus mm-hmm. the company ambitions, et cetera. But I think you're going to see the stress test even more. And I think the right leaders that will spawn is doing right by what is the actual plan that the company can operate against. And then what is it that we need to do with our sales force to, to get there? To your point, having a 50% blended attainment, uh, you know, assuming not everyone's like, it's because of ramp, like let's, let's, we'll have a more of an honest perspective that this is just like a a honest blended take. Right. Then I do think, I would say that's low, even from my growth equity days, you know, usually Mm -hmm. try to shoot for, uh, 80% attainment just to capture all the noise. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, if you're below that, then I think you do have to ask yourself, like, do I have a retention issue? Do I have a goaling problem? Are we forcing something around the business that our business can't sustain? And if we keep doing this, yeah, the, the, the writing's on the wall. People are going to start to question leadership. Why is everyone set up for failure instead of set for success? Mm-hmm. Um, are we exactly. thinking about the right things um, with regards to what we believe the team can deliver on? And do we have a repeatable motion around our sales team, around how to scale them up and be successful. Uh, I know, you know, we've been very fortunate to have uh, the partners I mentioned earlier, because on the board level, we talk about a lot of these things to make sure we have good hygiene. Like the check boxes are, hey, do you have one or two winners killing on your sales team and everyone else is like, blah? Or do you have like consistency that everyone's, you know, getting to quota or beating quota? Like they would rather have, you know, eight out of or seven or eight out of 10, like getting to yep. quota. Um, but they're all like around hundred percent Then like the one or two are blowing it out, but everyone else is like struggling. Cause that just means that when you add more sales folks, you're not, you're not scaling up. You're, you're actually just getting kind of lucky for finding, uh, outlier well, exactly. sales reps. Yeah. yeah. I would, I, I make that point all the time about, you know, you see some companies in the SaaS world operate on these low win rates, you know, 20% mm-hmm. win rate across the board. And the, as an enterprise, it's like, yeah, you're just playing the odds at that point. You're, yeah, for you're, sure. not, you're not actually learning how to win. And that's, I'm that's sorry, right. No, no, it, that's exactly it. And I think this day and age, going back to like, you know, everything's kind of interchange or interdependent with each other. But like, I think the role of sales ops and um, also with finance being more involved in here is 
asking tougher questions, but also tracking things that help you become a better uh, business in the end. Like one thing that um, we try to push um, both internally and externally is just looking at your unit economics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think for a lot of folks, uh, depending on the stage, but for a lot of folks, at least in the growth and, and earlier stage, they don't know how much they're giving away on economics on a blended basis per deal. They might right. know that on a on a per rep level, you know, okay, 10%, 11%, that's easy enough. But what about, you know, you add in the management layer? What about mm -hmm. the sales engineers? What mm -hmm. about the BDRs also? You mm -hmm. know, what is your go-to-market motion on a fully baked basis or fully burdened right. basis on a deal? You might be surprised that, hey, it's 40, 50%. Okay, you just gave, did you know that you might be giving away 50% of your economics on a per deal with all the commissions and stuff factored in? Right. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Because then now you united that that now dictates a different set of conversations. How do you think about, you know, your magic number or your gross margin payback? And if you're giving away these things that are unhealthy, man, like, I mean, you know better than anyone else. Like, it's really hard to gonna be reeling it back in, one. And then two, like, where, where, where are the trade-offs gonna come in to, to, to make you have a sustainable business? Yeah, well, at that point, especially if you reach that 50, 40, 50% level, it's like, I'd be thinking, Oh, well, maybe I need to have a good chunk of my strategy through channels because if I'm going to give away 30%, 40%, I can do that without a fixed cost of all the, the payroll and so on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so um, that's where I think it becomes very interesting nowadays because to your point, knowing that it's like, I'm going to paraphrase from what I remember from G.I. Joe back in the day, it's like knowing's <laughs> half the battle. Uh, but it's such a true statement here. Like right. uh, a lot of companies, you know, the answers are when they lay them out in front of you, like a classic, like SAT question, it becomes more obvious what the right answer is. Right. But you can appreciate like, not everyone can get to that right answer because they don't have that data. And if you're not getting that data, you're not making sub, you know, you're making suboptimal decisions versus optimal decisions. And you're not getting to the hard decisions that will get your business to be an enduring great business in the end. Yeah. Well, so, so to that point is is maybe one of our last questions is is so what what are some trends you see things that people are doing differently that are having a positive impact from a compensation standpoint sales compensation standpoint in the in their growth organizations I mean something you know new something that you've seen that's you know again innovative yeah. I'll kind of rattle off off the top of my head and uh, I'm sure I'll have some more like the funny things. It's always when, when you part away from the call, you'll come up with like, oh yeah, I should have said that. <laughs> um, the things that I see um, that I like a lot yeah. and I think are successful include, um, I think people are doing more experimentations with spiffs um, more frequently to test out like what works, what, what, what doesn't work, kind of like you know, motiv really motivating on a more, um, you know, micro incentive level, I think. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean like, hey, if you do like, you get to this deal progression, that that's a little bit too micro. Right. I mean like, hey, like let's do a campaign for, I don't know, who can uh, get the biggest deal or, you know, you know, certain criteria, right. like, the, you know, most deals or whatever. I think that just keeps things interesting from an engagement perspective. Um, I like the one where you continue to reward your winners um, so if you continue to break quota, um, you can actually stack on maybe another accelerator on top mm -hmm. of that. They're mm -hmm. like, Hey, you did it three months in a row. Like do it four months. You're going to get an extra X percent. Mm -hmm. Like that's just exciting. You know, that's, it, it kind of just 
it's like a i don't know if you remember like back in the day for this this game called NBA GM, you did like three yeah. hoops in a row and then you're on fire. And it just, it's such a celebratory moment. You're like, Oh my God, he's killing it. And he's like, he's on fire right now. Um, that's, you, have, that's... you have great references today. We've had GI Joe and NBA GM. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the other ones I find that are interesting, uh, you know, there, there's stuff I, I've seen that's been experimental and I think it's worked. Um, you know, I think people need to be thinking about what's right for the business. And one big trend I've seen is um, for people to take a step back and figure out what is right for the business instead of just copying another commission plan. And so mm-hmm. um, where I've seen, especially in situations where there's a lot of uh, seasonality to the business, mm-hmm. um, a plan that I think has worked is one where um, you can, uh, as you're performing, um, if you have a couple initially bad months uh, and then a good month, um, you can't make accelerator unless you catch up on a year to date basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that prevents is like for some people where again, like maybe they're, they hit their target um, one month, but they miss another month, but then they blow it out the next month. And then they're in like this crazy accelerator because maybe some of those deals from that other month spilled into the following month. Right. Um, it smooths things out. Uh, so you don't see this massive spike because at the end of the day, the last thing you want is for the company to get over penalized when it comes to paying out commissions right? Uh, and then reps gain overly rewarded because of how the deals uh, ended up falling. Yeah. Um, the other one, I, the last one I think that's always, that's been pretty uh, interesting and, and I, I thought it was great is just, um, it's called a conquest bonus. And the idea is if you rip out a, competing solution like Mm. you get another additional credit um so you know i've seen that successful uh different companies i think it's it's a it's kind of a good rally call and so come on you know one thing i think you've seen from a thematic standpoint is i think people um there's almost not gamification is not the right word but there's almost this like psychological element that you can kind of make the commission plan fun and you're driving even more of like a a rally call or engagement or like a, a sub drive versus like, Oh, if you do this commission or if you do this, you'll get that, which kind of becomes boring in itself. Uh, once it's like, you don't see that when you, when you see that, just that's, that is how you make money and that's it. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like the idea of, of spiffs and the way you talked about it, which are not tied to a period, but mm-hmm. tied to a specific accomplishment. Yep. You know, trouble with spiffs. I found spiffs tied to a period and I've, had this conversation with sales leaders before is actually I was in this event meeting with some sales leaders and they're talking about spiffs and, and they were all sort of using this as that, you know, to bring a deal into this month versus, you know, waiting till next month or whatever. And to your point about margins, just, you know, I asked them, I said, so have you ever done an, an ROI calculation on that spiff? You yeah. know, the value of bringing it in two days, you know, have it close Friday instead of Monday or Tuesday, um, right. which no one ever does. Right. So you're just giving away margin. for bookkeeping purposes. Um, Yeah, I never understood that. But if you use a spiff to say, yeah, I like the idea, you you know, the big deals or something like that. I think that's, I like that. That, I've always found that valuable. Oh, for sure. It's always like the the fun part, especially if you're, uh, you know, a sales operations leader, is when you find something that actually changes behavior. And I think that's the exciting part um, when it comes to commissions. Like, you know, we've always had this belief internally, um, you know, one of the best forms of incentivizing people is people just like to get paid. 
Like that, mm -hmm. that is one of the most key ways to change behavior yeah. and also align behavior. And so, you know, I, I think if you can use that uh, correctly, you can unlock a very, very powerful way to influence, you know, how people, you know, driving their behavior, whether it's to go like, you know, 110% to um, doing something that the company thinks will be very productive mm -hmm. and it's easier to drive that through an incentive versus just explaining, hey, this is good for everyone. You know, it's almost like, does everyone want to take their medicine or vitamins when your, your mom or dad tells you to? It's, it's like, okay, like I'll do that versus like an actual incentive to do it. Sure, it's healthy, but like, man, if someone pay me money to take vitamins, yeah, okay, I'll take vitamins. <laughs> well, so that sort of raises, I guess this will be our last question, is yeah. do you see any trend toward not paying commission? You know, um, a trend that I saw back in COVID, I haven't seen it yet. I wouldn't be surprised if I did see an emergence behind this. Um, and it's popular in certain industries. Mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll, I'll describe it first and then I'll kind of unpack like where it's right. applicable. Um, majority of the companies I've seen pay on bookings. And for you know context for everyone on the call, bookings is like, you know, basically being paid on contract. Yeah. yeah. Um, and back in COVID when, you know, there was uncertainty around businesses viability, um, some companies were switching to paying out on cash receipts which would mean that you would need another data source to be plugging in because you would need to know invoicing data and when that was paid. So you had to have a connection to your ERP usually. Which FYI, that, uh, was, that was throughout my entire career, only paid on on revenue. <laughs> yeah, yep. or, or sometimes half on revenue, half on payment, but yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and some people take that approach too with like a hybrid, so people aren't starving. Um, so, you know, there's merits to it. You know, I, I think spiritually, it's the best way to align against the company's health, mm -hmm. right? If you have too many people not paying, um, but you're paying on booking, well, not only are you as a company, you're paying the rep and that's cash out the door, but you're not getting cash in the door. So you're getting kind of a double edge, you know, a double whammy yeah. on that. So uh, paying on cash receipts kind of protects against uh, that potential downside, but the implications are that it takes a lot longer for a rep to get paid. They might not mm. wait, you know, what is it? people's billing cycles are anywhere from 30 to 60 days. So let's say an average of 45. Okay, do you want a rep to wait 45 days post a deal closer uh, to get that? Now, the, the, the other flip side of it is that that might incentivize a rep to help get that cash collection so they can get paid. So I, I've seen that, that that was pretty popular in COVID and I think it actually is still pretty popular and I would you know potentially recommend it if you have collection issues. Like if you're in one of those industries where, look, it's just really hard to predict um, because maybe you're serving restaurants and like a restaurant, I don't know, if you have a hundred restaurants, 20 of them are gonna go bankrupt. That's just yeah. like the, raw, the law of how the restaurant industry works. Um, then you might want to have that kind of plan so you don't get, you know, you don't have a very expensive go to uh, go to market operation, um, and potentially you could explore that in times where there's extreme volatility with businesses, you know, potentially not surviving. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think it's a careful trade-off, just like anything. Something like that can be much more jarring uh, switching to unless there's a very careful. Uh, carefully explained case for why this is net beneficial for the 
the success and health of the company as a long run. Yeah, I mean, I just think back to my experience. I worked in companies, we were selling large complex communication systems. I've done a big chunk of my career doing that. Um, yeah, we didn't get paid anything on booking. We got paid, that's that half on revenue recognition, which is basically shipping the product to the customer, and then half on, on payment, um, which typically for us was based on customer sign-off on implementation. So right. it was, it was uh, but you had to sort of take like a portfolio approach to your, your compensation. Yep. And, you know, as an individual, you were trying to manage, you know, at certain deals, certain sizes, and, and uh, certain deal lengths. And, yeah, part of my calculation was managing that from a cash standpoint. Yep. It's like there's merit to it. And I think um, the hard trade off is that, you know, if your rep, at least back in Q4, it's probably a little bit different nowadays. Your, your rep on any given day could be getting two, three, four opportunities reaching out to them. Yeah. And if you know the market isn't doing that or your industry isn't commonly doing that, you're making it a little bit harder to retain unless you trade off and saying like, we're doing this for the long-term business. And if everyone else is doing this other thing, we're doing this, but the benefit to you is maybe you're getting a higher commission rate. Right. You know, there has to be that kind of trade off where the rep's like, okay, like this is at least equal for equal. Like I might, this other company might be offering like on bookings, but I'm going to be getting paid less um, for that trade-off. Right. No, I like that. Yeah, great conversation. I, we could talk forever about this. I like this is so important. <laughs> and For sure. Uh, so many different facets to it. So, well, Mark, if people want to learn more about Captivate IQ or connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, best way is to go to our website. Um, and it's CaptivateIQ.com. And uh, if you're interested in learning about us from a careers standpoint, go to the careers page. If you're looking about learning about us from a product standpoint, um, there's a bunch of call to actions throughout the website on you know getting a demo or form fill. And then I would also just uh, follow us on LinkedIn. Um, we have a number of events that we are doing every given month um, where you can easily attend one of those webinars and then also, you know, stay tuned. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot more in-person conferences. So, you know, if we happen to be right. in the conference that you're at or in the, the city uh, that we're in or that you're in, um, feel free to check us out in person. Perfect. All right, Mark, thank you. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest, Mark Schottmeyer, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>